Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Greenwashed with Jasper Eaton Don. And remember to give that feedback as you have been good at doing so far, listeners. Uh, that's text at 2057 or inbox at realitycheck.radio. Uh, it's interesting. A, a week's a long time sometimes in social media worlds. And uh, you often find something that you least expect. And a week ago, I was given a link to a uh, a page written by, or a site written by Snoopman. And I thought, what am I going to find here? And I found this document. It sort of links into the news about the BlackRock funds coming to New Zealand or the idea of some funding coming to New Zealand. And this gentleman had written this document, a big document that's available on social media called Decarbonisation Transition Therapy. World Premier Test Lab New Zealand pitched to pilot net zero carbon economy amid resource wars for 270 trillion global refit. And we thought, didn't we, Jasper? There's something to see here. So it seems like a bit of us. We'd better get and investigate who this is. So we happened upon a gentleman called Steve Snootman Edwards. And he's been um, writing, and, and he has a website called Snootman News. It's turning 10 this week. And we've found that this article that he's penned last week, August the 10th, has had a heck of a lot of uptake. And so, look, without further ado, we're going to introduce Steve Snootman Edwards. And we've got a bit of a bit of a CV, and we're not going to talk about it all, but um, one that uh, does highlight is that he graduated with first-class honours uh, in a Master's in Communication Studies uh, degree. So, you know, this guy's no slug. Um Welcome to Greenwash, Steve. Uh, we're going to call you Steve and Snoop Man through this, but um, first up, aside from welcoming you, what what's driven you to develop this um, this this page and this, especially this article? That's probably the the main topic we're going to talk about. But what really was the uh, urgency to, to get this out? Hey, thanks, Don. Uh, yeah, thank you, Don. Um, and Jaspreet, uh, thank you for the invite to your to your radio show. Um, my well, my my original um, you know impetus a little bit about me. My impetus for starting Snoopman News was to um, I, you know dive beneath you know the headlines and the you know the, the really the surface level that that the news and current affairs skims across. You know the kind of you know, you know they 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 like surfers, and they're also kind of like you know snorkelers. They just go a little bit below the surface, and so I I try and dive deeper and spend spend more time. So my website and my and my you know Substack Snoopman Files pages you know um, account that it's more it's kind of halfway between a magazine article if you like and a or you know a news and magazine article and, and an academic article so you know it's got references and links and they're normally you know a bit longer as everyone keeps telling me <laughs> yeah so right. so with this with this blackrock um piece you know i saw that saw that news happen last week and um and with you know the new zealand's um climate partnership fund that that blackrock's looking to be a broker for and they're a massive um asset management fund with you know depending on whose count you take you know it's 11 trillion and 
in funds under management or it's 15 or 16 trillion, you know, a huge transnational, you know, corporation. Um, and so I, I felt like it needed, it needed a deeper piece to contextualize um, what that, you know, what that means for New Zealand and, and also where, where the world's going, the trajectory it's on, which is why I mentioned the, you know, the, the, the figures being thrown around of anywhere between 200 trillion and 270 trillion to, you know, remake the world on a sustainable trajectory by 2050. And that was one of the figures mentioned, you know, and then the news of BlackRock and its climate partnership fund. Um, you know, one of the one of the BlackRock people, you know, mentioned that 200 trillions needed by 2050 to make the global economy net zero. And, and you know, and it's like the the figure should tell you that um, it will make all other, you know, um, you know the the three previous you know industrial revolutions, you know, look like I don't know, like a a bunch of sheddies tinkering away, you know, in, in an international conference with their you know with their inventions. It's it's an, it's incredible, all right. Um, the the numbers just get plucked off trees, don't they? Uh, interestingly, we uh, talked about a. Um, carbon capture and storage concept in the states uh that one senator picked on john kerry's um argument for for having such a, a concept and he came up with the numbers at the current price of carbon which we all sort of i imagine have some view on whether it's valuable or valueless anyway at the current price uh to do what john kerry wanted to do was going to be 1.6 quadrillion dollars so those are numbers we've never even heard of in our lives and in new zealand this net zero stuff they're talking 42 billion in the um transition by 2050 in the in the documents but michael kelly from oxford last year wrote a paper for new zealand he said minimum cost 550 billion so we've got a difference between 42 billion and 550 already so i think your warning Steve was quite salutary that um, these numbers are just plucked from somewhere. Um, they haven't got a lot of substance and, uh, and and we need to expose it. So, you know, I think the, the message already has been you, you, your radar goes up when you see these numbers and you have to look in behind them. So what did you find? Well, uh, the, the 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 forty the forty two trillion. I mean, they're, they're talking about that specifically for um, energy generation and distribution, mm. and that and that's by twenty thirty that particular figure. Mm. Um, but you know, and, and in terms of you know what they're talking about spending for New Zealand by twenty fifty, you know, you know, it, it, it may be I'll be that one hundred fifty five hundred you know mm. billion kind of range. Um, mm. Just fairly, fairly ridiculous because what I mean, my, why my radar goes up is because they're really they're talking about a high tech, a high tech trajectory, um, you know, for the planet, and um, and we're supposed to all believe that that's you know um, all about saving the environment and sustainable, and you know I, I would first you know put in you know like before I go any further, um, you know I. I haven't really seen anyone, who, you know, who who doesn't say that the you know the planet isn't being plundered, um, and that you know there aren't you know major environmental problems being caused by you know a huge amount of you know human activity. Um, major among them is um, you know all these wars, 
that have been going on for so long to grab resources and not pay people a fair price and involve, you know, countries that are, you know, been supplying these raw materials, you know, to rebuild Europe, rebuild Japan after World War II. You know, there was a developmentalist movement, um, you know, that, that sprung up after World War II, which is why Africa went through a whole bunch of revolutions to try and get the countries back from, you know, you know, to decolonize. But all they found, you know, afterwards in the process was that um, they were uh, they, they, they were actually going through neocolonialism. You know that that mm. the, the massive mm. companies were still there, and the financial systems and the banking systems were still controlled. I mean, I've got a book on my bookshelf behind me, written by Kwame Nkrumah, um, called um, Imper- uh, "Neocolonialism: The Last Stage of Imperialism," and he was a friend of John F. Kennedy. And um, you know that they met at Harvard Business School, and and you know um, Kwame had this vision for Africa, you know, to be, um, you know, he worked out what countries had what resources and how they could all trade together and co-develop, and what they needed was Western technology, you know, to help them, you know, get started, which is where John F. Kennedy came in, you know, he helped funds, you know, using, you know, U.S. Congress to fade, you know, this West African, you know, hydro, hydro electrics, hydropower electric scheme. And so anyway, that's a bit of a tangent and going back, but uh, it, what, what, it, what it gives you is that there were people, you know, back in the post-war world, post-World War II, who were working out genuine solutions, but all of this was blocked, you know, by the David Rockefellers of this world. And and then that that's how it, it it's it gets into my bigger argument that I had running through it of like why I said you know this global refit amongst the you know uh, a you know an ongoing war and so one of the things that I mention in the article where I get to where it's you know where it blows out into this bigger picture is that the world's still in a third hundred years war which began in eighteen ninety nine. As a um, uh, you know, as an imperial plan to reforge the British Empire, and that began with the Boer War to um, gain gold and diamonds mm. for a war chest and diamonds, no doubt, because it's really you know it's a hard material and it's great for um, machine you know making machine you know using in machine cutting, and 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 so that third hundred years war. Um, you know, I didn't just make that up out of my head. You know, I got that off, you know, this A-class historian, Carol Quigley, who, you know, wrote, wrote um, well, he wrote three major books, and one of them was The Evolution of Civilizations, where he summarized, you know, what are the key things of, of civilization? And one of them he pointed out was that every, you know, an, a, a civilization turns into an empire when it becomes expansionist. And, and he said, every empire needs an instrument of expansion. In classical times, you know, that was slavery. Everyone knows about that. And, and what happened, you know, at the turn of the century was, you know, these, these geopolitical planners were looking at oil and seeing its enormous potential. And so that became the new instrument of expansion and why World War I happened and World War II. As we know, the maps changed between um, in the Middle East between World War One and World War Two, and so um, and so what's happened, um, you know, by you know eighteen fifty nine, uh, nineteen fifty nine rather, 
was the beginning of, um, you know, it was the first computer chip. I mean, it was about the size of an oven tray. Um, and, and so that was the beginning of, of the, um, you know, the chip revolution. And so that is where the hundred wars year is, is turned. It's now a fight over the control for the resources, the territories and the technologies to control the computing chip and who controls the computing chip, um, will dominate the world. And that's what the fight is over. You spoke about 1959, Steve. 1960s a year, that's in my head. I think this was a year that's called the Year of Africa, where more than a dozen African countries supposedly got their independence. And you spoke about the themes of neo-imperialism. And I I took an interest in Africa because uh, both my dad and my brother, two, genera- two decades apart, they served under the United Nations Peacekeeping Forces from the Indian Army Deputed. So... Uh, Congo received its independence from Belgium, middle of 1960. By December 1960, UN boots were on the ground before Christmas of that year. What is it? 63 years later, the average Congolese still has a life expectancy less than 60. The the food basket of Africa, so-called, is destroyed. And that was in Somalia in 92 to 94 as a lieutenant colonel. And my brother was in Congo 2005. For about roughly 14 months deputation. And uh, so Somalia always sort of captures my attention. And I saw this year, January, the US military has presented $9 million in weapons, vehicles, anti-aircraft guns, and other equipment to the Somali National Army in a ceremony attended by the US ambassador. So you can just see what's going on in Africa. You can just see how all of these themes have been repeated. And as you said, the, the wars never really ended. And colonialism turned to neo-imperialism and so on. But why, coming back to your article, most people think it's a great thing that BlackRock is coming in and they'll be bringing the money. Our tax take is not going to be used to transition us to a net zero economy. So what's wrong with BlackRock? That's It begs the question there. Why should we be worried, if at all? Well, BlackRock's BlackRock is a you know it's this transnational um, investment you know huge conglomerate. Um, it, it, it basically you know I mean without seeing you know the actual contract you know because that's confidential and we haven't seen it. Um, the, the the point is is that uh, it. it it's financing, you know, it's foreign and it's and it's and it's you know probably also local financing for high tech solutions um, that are, you know, going going to um, but basically the 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 key problem with um, all these you know computer you know chip based solutions that come with everything is that it's it's not only your power supply. But without even asking the power company, they're actually, you know, working as the surveillance company. They're grabbing all your data via, you know, the Wi-Fi signals through your smart meters and when whatever else, you know, if it's like using a card or your phone to interact with that service, you know, because everyone's got, you know, phones and we've helped, we've actually helped through, you know, um, how, how the, how the, you know, the economy has been transformed. We're all, um, keying into things with our phones, but either paying for them, um, or you know, and and then that's what's going to be more um, 
more introduced with each of these systems. It won't be just a chipped card. It'll be more direct transactions with your phones, which is what they were trialing and getting everyone used to during COVID with QR codes. It was basically a, it was a test for humanity and we failed at, at an intelligence test where we just complied mass scale and and like monkeys you know pointed you know our mobiles at qr codes to get access to things um you know and so th that's you know that's where we're going and yet, and yet and yet you notice like with a big program like that you know like i call it the great corona you know hostage crisis mm. the likes of blackrock you know these big ceos you know they you know there was no howls from any of them you know these yeah. these big companies you know, to close down whole sectors of economies, you know, I mean, if that was Greta Thunberg going, close it down for climate, you know, everyone would have just laughed her, laughed her out of the room, you know. Mm. Um, but but this this was a very strategically, you know, planned, um, you know, operation, you know, and, and it was it was BlackRock who wrote this this paper called Going Direct, you know, back in nine, 2019, and it was tabled at Jackson Hole. And that was a plan, literally, um, to bail out, you know, um, bail out the country, bail out the bankers and bail out big corporates um, and, you know, expand the money supply. Mm. And, of course, then a crisis comes along and, you know, hey, presto, you know, BlackRock's managing the funds for that bailout distribution on behalf of the Federal Reserve. You know, which, which, as I point out in my article, the Federal Reserve is privately owned. It's a cartel. It's got a money monopoly. And, you know, it's, it's um, founding banks in the New York branch. You know, it's got 12 branches, 12 regional banks, you know, in a, you know, the, the 13th district, like in the Hunger Games, is in Washington, D.C., where the Board <laughs> of Governors are. You know, so, I mean, you literally, if you go to the Board of Governors website and you look at the structure of the Federal Reserve, it like literally reads like the rule book for a game of Monopoly, you know, where the bankers always win in the end and they get you collateral amongst a financial crash. So so if I, if I could just finish that point on, on um, BlackRock and its association with um, the Federal Reserve, you know, and it, it was one of five... Um, they called them vendors during the 2008, you know, whole bailout season. And okay. and so it was one of five, you know, financial companies that were managing the bailouts and where all that bailout money went. And at the time, BlackRock's assets were $300 billion, And now it's $11 trillion under management or 15 or 16, depending on whose count you take. So... I, I, what, what I'm, what I'm driving at is behind BlackRock. You know, we know that State Street and Vanguard are also, you know, top owners in BlackRock. Behind them, you know, we can't quite see, but you know, you can kind of read between the lines. If the Federal Reserve is privately owned by dynastic banking families in the global banks, um, you know, you know, then, then. The big owners or the big investors in BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard are going to be the dynastic banking families and the industrialists, and um, and the big tech, um, you know, multi-billionaires, you know, center billionaires, you know. So, so, so my 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 problem with the the BlackRock Climate Partnership Fund 
gets to the issue of New Zealand has, like so many countries around the world, a debt-based monetary system, and we don't have a government that actually um, uses a sovereign power that it could do and actually produce the money that the country needs in its own currency, debt-free, so that um, otherwise everyone is competing to pay back loans, to pay taxes on foreign debt, and um, and that's 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 where we are. There's literally a scarcity over actual cash. Cash is debt free if you produce it that way, and and it's not just about the, you know the fact that there's ATMs and lots of digital money. The problem was there even before you know electronic money came along. It's the fact that that the global banking cartel keeps an actual scarcity over cash mm. in the same way that, you know, other cartels keep a scarcity over supply of, you know, diamonds to keep the prices up or oil, you know, to, um, you know, create, create a high price for oil by having everyone believe that it was dinosaurs that somehow, you know, died on mass, you know, two miles below the surface of the earth. <laughs> So, listeners, I just want to put into context some of the numbers that uh, Steve's been talking about. I did some research, and uh, in 1988 was when um, Larry Fink first set up BlackRock. And um, remember, uh, Steve has just talked about the GFC of 2008-9 when the banks, uh, the five big banks, sort of, I think, collapsed. Uh, Freddie May, uh, was it? Freddie May, or no, oh, I've forgotten, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, right. that's right. And... Yeah. Um, by 2011, um, I mean, Steve just talked about how there were not even a trillion dollars worth of assets around pre-GFC, but at the end of the GFC, uh, uh, BlackRock had under its management $3.5 trillion and today now has $12 trillion. Uh, so each crisis has built their base quite nicely, I'd suggest. Now, Steve, I'd just like to posit this, though. We've got a, a super and fund in New Zealand. Who owns that? Who really owns it then, based on what you're just saying? Uh, effectively, um, I would have thought, why didn't we use our own super and fund to have um, look after our own country first, uh, use our own funding from mums and dads investments to build the roads and have, if we have to have a, a climate fund, which I suggest we don't, um, but if we do, it's all there. Is that relevant? Or do we not even own our own super fund? Well, I, I I don't I don't know much about the super funds. Um, I, I I gather that BlackRock manages that as well. That's my understanding. Um, but I you know I wouldn't be surprised if some of that money gets redirected into you know investing in in the climate you know um, partnership fund. Um, yeah, I mean, we, 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 I think people need to realise this this climate climate partnership fund. You know, it's the New Zealand version of it. Um, it was, you know, first announced in September 2018 by Larry Fink and uh, President um, Macron, and um, and you know, so when and at the time they were talking about 100 trillion needed to make you know the world sustainable and net zero by 2050. Um, price tags gone up, uh, doubled, um, <laughs> along with the uh, you know the inflation of the money supply of the world. Um, so, uh, the, the, the thing, the thing about, um, you know, Larry, Larry Fink and, you know, BlackRock, um, 
Yeah, I, I, the, 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 the other problem with BlackRock, you know, being put in charge of, you know, managing brokering funds, you know, he, Larry Fink's at the floor, floor, forefront of, um, you know, promoting ESGs, which is, you know, environmental, um, uh, sorry, sorry, equity and sustainability goals, which is the corporate version of, you know, uh, you know, social credit credit scoring system, you know, Mm. that, that like they've got in China, you know, that's, you know, going to come to the West, you know, because, you know, so it's the corporate version of that where they're forcing through a whole lot of, you know, um, scoring systems. So, you know, companies are having to do reports to show that they've, you know, got, you know, equity on their boards and the like. But what all of that is, it's a distraction from the fact that, you know, um, who are the richest people on the planet, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's not it's not Elon Musk, you know, or, or um, you know, Jeff Bezos and, and Bill Gates. They're second tier. You know, it would be too embarrassing for, you know, Fortune magazine to publish a 400 rich list of the world's richest because everyone would go, holy shit, it's, you know, pardon my French, um, it's, it's, you know, um, the Saudi royal family, it's the British royal family, it's the Dutch royal family, and it's the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and and a whole lot of other people, you know, dynastic banking families like, you know, the Swedish Wallenberg family and, you know, Vanderbilt's and the like. My problem with all of this, Steve, is I don't care if someone is rich, you know. If they weren't their riches, they could stay there. My problem is the social credit system which is coming in via ESG. My problem is also that no one is asking me as an individual what my priorities are. My priorities are affordable food, roads which actually need a walk instead of my vehicle needing a walk, a decent education, a hospital system where I don't have to wait for a second time, I hope in my life, for 48 hours in ER to have my child with a broken arm seen. We seem to have no money for all of this. And yet we've decided the climate and climate change and all of this is where we are going to be spending our money. Tell you what, I will actually go as far enough to venture that I don't care what the future looks like if my children don't have a present. I don't care what happens 50 years from now if my child, God forbid, tomorrow something serious happens and they suffer major uh, side effects of not being able to see a doctor soon. Or people having to have, you know, junk food and crap because they can't afford healthy, uh, fresh produce, news and lamb, milk, butter, all of that stuff. So we've got our priorities really screwed. And we seem to have an army of bureaucrats who are hell-bent upon pushing this stuff down our throat, be it ESG, be it the DEI, the diversity, equity, inclusion, nonsense. And we are people who absolutely do not see that there is techno-feudalism right now. We are being controlled by these, I, I often call them the tech overlords. We are being controlled and herded into a direction which none of us chose. How long can you keep pushing sustainability for future generations right down if you don't have a present left anymore? Well, exactly. But um, you know, that's what history teaches us as well. Uh, and that's what this whole discussion's about um, learning from history, seeing what's in front of us now, and imagine what they're going to write in the next 50 years, provided it's not censored, um, about <laughs> today. Uh, Steve's highlighting stuff that, you know, had we had eyes wide open, most of us would know this stuff, but most of us don't. 
because we're too busy um, doing what you're doing, Jasper, trying to protect your family, which is what we should all do. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, uh, Steve, how the game of monopoly is is being played out. As uh, in one in your article, you even use the monopoly box uh, as a as a picture. But 2011, Larry Fink said it pretty well, didn't he? Uh, his intention um, that markets like totalitarian governments. Mm. Um, because that actually helps them. So would you just like to expand a little bit on that, uh, if you can? Sure, sure, yeah. So he was he was talking, to, it was in a Bloomberg interview where Larry Fink, um, you know, was asked, you know, what do you think about all the uprisings, you know, going on around the world and chaos and all of that. And, um, you know, civil unrest and things that were post, post-global financial crisis and, and people wanting uh, freedom in, in, in some of those totalitarian, you know, kind of dictatorship countries, you know, in the Middle East, um, that the West has helped build up. <laughs> um, and 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 he said, you know, his answer was, well, you see confusion and that markets, you know, um, like, you know, totalitarian governments um, because it, you know, gives, gives them certainty. certainty. Mm. Yeah, and, and their investments. And so I, I wrote in the article, you know, markets as co for oligarchs. Um, and so, that I mean, the thing about oligarchs, you know, they're, they're super rich people and, you know, they'll form a coalition, so that's an oligarchy. And if you leave them to their own devices for long enough, um, they will form empires. And, and so that's what the world is seeing is that, you know, over the past – you know, 150 years, the, the the those existing empires have transformed themselves and made alliances with you know and and really developed the corporation and created cartels around the world, and it's a fusion of that working with military intelligence complexes, and um you know and, and they've gotten so powerful that literally their business plans don't work unless the military goes in and takes more resources and territories for them and that's where we're at they have such you know rapacious need as coalitions of oligarchs to accumulate better than average because if they don't capital will go to where it can and oh. so that's what you've got going on and and so you know there's there's one book i quote you know that i you know source in my article capital is power and that's by you know a couple of you know political economists who really have their head around it and they've actually um, you know, there's a whole subfield that they've, um, you know, forged of people contributing to this capitalist power theory. And what that talks about is, is that what matters to super rich oligarchs is how they can transform their economic wealth into political power. And that, that is, that is the key to why, you know, um, we don't have, you know, our vote, you know, is, is like, you know, it's basically, you know, taken, it's manufactured, the consent of our vote, you know, is, you know, it, it, it's, we're completely manipulated. And, and because there's mass populations, most people don't realize how deep and how far all of this planning goes. Um, that, you know, really, we're, as, as, as democracies, we're being played, and, and it's actually transforming into technocracies, where, you know, the governance systems are transforming into systems where they're, they're um, being governed by bureaucrats that have turned into technocrats mm -hmm. and 
with scientists and technicians and engineers all working enthusiastically as alliances. You know, you've got the New Zealand Tech Alliance and all the members there, and they're all working enthusiastically and getting paid, thinking they're actually doing good for the world, most of them, I'm sure. Um, but what's happening is we're actually creating a shiny, you know, well-marketed technocratic totalitarian system for the West. And the chi China's being used as the, you know, the, 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 the test facility for totalitarianism, um, you know, but of course they can't quite do it the way the CCP does it, you know, by just getting on and doing it, which is what Larry Fink was alluding to because Larry yeah, Fink, West, well, not, yeah. still needs Let to sort of maintain a mediocre of, oh, we are being kind, we are being inclusive, we are, you know, consulting. I don't know how many times I've heard the word consultation. But the and ultimately, these organizations or these, whatever you call these massive, you know, super global, super rich corporations, they're not accountable. They were not elected. And who will be left, uh, you know, holding the fallout? It will be Kiwis. Yeah, yeah, and and so that that gets to the you know another point I was making in in the article was that, um, you know what what happens periodically is that when, um, you know when, when mass populations have have accumulated too much wealth themselves, you know through, you know industriously working and venting and and having their own medium and small size businesses, and the like, and you know working hard and striving. Um, these coalitions of oligarchs, they literally pull um, strategic sabotages of industry and they, and that they'll pull a reset. And that's what we saw in 2020. Um, and, and, you know, if people might go, you know, if they don't, you know, if they haven't quite got their head around, you know, why it is that a pandemic, you know, supposedly um, doesn't justify shutting down entire economies, you know, and, and entire societies. You could, for a fraction of the price and resources, have, you know, targeted healthcare for the health vulnerable, and and it all would have been fine. I mean, my grandparents would have just like been aghast. Their jaws would have dropped to the floor, you know, like that. You know, whole countries were being shut down. They would have just, you know, you know, because. They were old enough to have lived through the, you know, um, 1918, you know, pandemic. Um, and anyway, you know, because they lived through the Great Depression. So they, they knew what it is to crash economies and, and the hardship that, that causes. And, you know, you shorten people's lifespans by compromising their ability to, you know, have decent nutrition. Um, so... You know, to, to give an historical example that that more people can get their heads around of a, of, of the oligarchs pulling a reset, um, you know, it was Kissinger who plotted the Yom Kippur War in 1973 by you know um, getting the Israelis, the Egyptians, and the Syrians to misunderstand each other's agendas, and you know the Dark Prince himself played them all off, and the and the reason why you know they pulled that was you know to knowing the Arabs would you know, be angry at American support of Israel and with military um, support. And, and so, you know, the oil embargo happened. And, and so then that, you know, pushed up and caused the oil price shocks, supposedly. But it was all pre-planned. And, and, you know, there was still oil getting imported through um, Rotterdam, you know, to Europe. Um, 
And, you know, five months before that occurred, that Yom Kippur war was triggered, that's the trigger. There's always a trigger and a reset. Um, the, five months before, the Bilderberg group were discussing, you know, what would happen and if if the price of oil went from $2.50 to $10, which subsequently uh-huh. happened. Um, you know, and that was that was at an island in, in Sweden owned by the Wallenberg um, banking dynasty. You know, and, and present at that, that meeting was, um, you know, Giovanni, you know, the Fiat family. Um, there was, uh, you know, Nathan Rothschild, uh, um, Nathan L. Rothschild, and, you know, a whole, a whole bunch of key players, um, you know, dis- discussing that. And, and you know, the, that was the beginning of, the, that was their petrodollar plan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it got flushed through, you know, Rockefeller's, you know, Manhattan Bank, and um, you know, which was was a big owner in the Federal Reserve before it merged with J.P. Morgan Chase in um, you know two thousand, um, and so the whole that whole plan was to reinvigorate the U.S. dollar um, because it had run up you know huge huge debts you know huge fiscal deficits during the Vietnam War, and you know the French had actually sent a warship you know to into New York Harbor into New Jersey to um, reclaim their gold. And in 1971, and that triggered, you know, they basically had to go back to the drawing board and they got Nixon to take, you know, um, the dollar off the gold standard. And so then they spent two years figuring out how they were going to reinvigorate the US dollar. And so that was the petrodollars, get the world to, you know, um, trade, you know, keep trading in oil and, but flush it through, you know, all these private banks that, you know, and um and but the other side of that was to actually build up client states and get them to buy U.S. military weapons. So with that, with the increased you know um, oil, oil um you know petrodollars flushing you know through through their own banks and through their own accounts as well. So and and so then then that's where you really see the U.S. really enforcing you know every country has to trade in, in the U.S. dollars. But um, now they don't seem to, I mean, even go through all of these. And I must admire your grasp of history. And, you know, I have a fleeting sense of much of this. I know, you know, growing up with the background of uh, the Iraq, Iraq war and then the constant chatter of mes- uh, weapons of mass destruction and all of that coming to naught. When I've seen this play out, but I've never ever heard anyone put it into a whole coherent picture like you have. But now they don't even try anything like that, Steve, is it? You just claim that carbon or carbon dioxide, depending on how, what terminology people use, just uh, paint it as the enemy. And that's it. Job done. I mean, who would have thought it could be as simple as that? And people have forgotten second grade science. My kids could tell you, my eight-year-old could tell you that carbon dioxide is needed for life. But it seems uh, all of our expert researchers cannot, I mean, is it brilliant or what? I, I have a grudging admiration for this whole plan right now as I'm seeing it unfold. I mean, much as I don't want to, there is a grudging admiration for, I mean, the simplicity of the plan, the stupidity of mankind, and just a sheer unwillingness to think for ourselves. How did humanity ever get it? You know? Yeah, it's 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 quite a it's quite a jig. It's quite a gaslighting operation. Um, you know, to get get people to you know go along with an idea that we need to reduce you know, um, you know CO two you know in the atmosphere and you know 
Bill Gates and a whole lot of others, you know, um, advocating, you know, you know, CO2 sequestration, um, you know, industrial plants, you know, and it's like, oh my God, you're, you're actually talking about, you know, sucking, sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere and, and, you know, you could put it in a bumper sticker, literally, <laughs> you know, CO, CO2 is best friends with trees, you know, yep. and, and so, so the madness of, of, of you know, of, of that. And so therefore it raises the question, why, why out of all the, all the, you know, gases, which, you know, it's under 1%, you know, CO2, um, of, of atmospheric gas, um, why, why out of all of them has it been, you know, um, scapegoated? And the reason for it is that, um, that they can then, you know, because they've, they've set that in everyone's mind, um, that CO2 is bad. It's the boogeyman. And, and so what that gets to is this carbon equivalence system that they've developed, you know, and they've got everyone, you know, going, we need to decarbonize the planet and carbons and, you know, probably practically everything. It's in every living thing, um, as an atom. And so, um, what that what that gets to is, and it get, and then this relates to Larry Fink because his specialty is derivatives. Um, you know, he knows how to slice and dice assets and and um, make make fortunes off it with his, you know, Alibaba. Well, what is it? The, the um, his quantum computer. Um, yeah, and and Aladdin. Um, Aladdin. And you know, and and so he the the carbon equivalence. Is, is you know at, so there's this term the carbon equivalence unit and so what what that's about is it's about um quantifying with algorithms um every every single product in the world that's manufactured um and every resource and every asset into a carbon equivalence you know unit amount so we and, are going from a gold back to a petrodollar to a carbon unit yeah Economic yeah. Units. Yes. Yes. That 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 is. Yeah. You've got it. That's it's mm. the underlying, you know, asset, you know, kind of, you know, thing. Um. And so, it it, it and so so you need you need the computing chip. You know, mm. you need to control a computing chip to and have have the best and the fastest, you know, system that can control all of that enormous computation, and and also. Um, you know, the control of resources and territories and technologies. And so so what the carbon equivalence unit does is it's all about tracking, um, you know, from mining through to, you know, consumption, who consumes what, and all the way through to, you know, it being recycled or thrown in a city dump or, you know, whatever, and tracked all along the way. So that is about... <laughs> yeah yeah they, they make they make it just sound so sound good. so yeah so yeah. yeah you know even your child can draw that you know draw a circle <laughs> jimmy um yeah and so um and so so it's about tracking every single resource so it's total surveillance we're talking about a total surveillance system you know that would you know it would have literally have made you know you know the you know trotsky and stalin and you know hitler and you know um chairman mao and all of that you know they all would have you know just been so excited and just beside themselves if they had that enormous power that's the problem i have with the likes of larry fink <laughs> i mean even his name you know fink 
you know, to, to think on someone, you know, to snitch on someone, you know, he's literally part of a massive machine to, um, you know, it's a massive snitching machine. Yeah. Well, and, um, and Steve, so Steve, I, I felt, I, Steve, I was just going to say you have, you must follow a little bit about what's happening to New Zealand farmers who have leadership willing to sell into a system that would have them know their number. So they would know the emissions from each cow or each sheep or from the fertilizer they put on their, their crops. <laughs> and then it was going to be traceable, uh, you know, to the, to the consumer. Everything would be traceable. And there's only a few of us have seen the woods for the trees, realizing that this is a big game that you don't want to be part of. But we've got leaders in our farm co-ops and our farm um, businesses all selling into this. They've all been captured by ESGs, SDGs, you name it. They've all been caught up in it. And, you know, you've simplified it pretty easily. The carbon <laughs> unit, uh, gosh, I don't know. I, I didn't I mean, even have it that simple. Even carbon units don't, I mean, these are the same people, because even if I, for a second, say, all right, I agree with the argument, carbon is going to destroy at 409 parts per million, it's going to absolutely destroy life as you know it. These people say within the, uh, you know, industry groups, farming groups, they say, oh, we can't give you any credit for the sequestration of carbon by your grass. But at the same time, you can do massive experiments at millions of dollars to find out how much are your sheep you know, belching all of this methane nitrous oxide. We can put your sheep in special chambers and be monitoring them 24-7, but you can't tell you how much carbon is being sequestered by your grass. Can't give you credits for that. It's just too complicated. Seriously? And then we have, as Jacinda Ardern said in 2017, we'll be the first country in the world to put United Nations Sustainable Development Goals into our very legislation. And boy, are we delivering that on a platter to the globalists at the UN and whosoever else is behind that. Why do you think, see, we as a country are so willing to be lab rats, you know, world first climate uh, change bills. One of the first, I think, if not the very first where uh, FPOS cards were rolled out. One of the first, again, to put on these modern slavery laws and trying to get all, even people like me and my husband, we have a few people on work visas, we signed modern slavery declarations to get our employees to start visas. And I, God almighty, I'm a migrant myself. You are telling us all of this. Why are we so willing as a country to go where angels fear to tread? Why do we want to be world first in everything? I think some of it's to do with being like a small country at the bottom of the world, um, depending mm -hmm. on which way you're standing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the world maps orientated um but yeah I, I i think that's part of it you know it's like you know being being proud you know um i think we get milked you know we get milked by you know the overlords they know how to play new zealanders that way um and and so you know one of the things i mentioned in in the first subsection of my article was that we've um you know we've long been used as a test facility um and you know, so so I, I reference an article from the Economist from 2015, where they, you know, the the title of that is Kiwis as Guinea Pigs, and you know, one of the things that the um, you know, so so that in that article they're talking about how we're you know used a lot for um, you know testing new technologies and tweaking it and and the like, and then the use of that is that um, we're a small you know population of. 
five million we're isolated down at the bottom of the world and um english speaking and um and we you know take up you know new technology and and the like you know and so but one of the, the things they point out at the end is that it's not useful for the scientists for you know the um for the guinea pigs to know that they're in an experiment and so um even though new zealand constantly gets used as you know for pilot studies for this and that you know that the media is so um episodic you know that they don't put together the patterns over time and so like you know you'll see kids like going why are we like you know blah 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 with our exams you know they're being used in a pilot study and they don't realize that that you know once again you know kiwis are being used as as you know test subjects for um not just for new zealand but for the world and uh that's how we get manipulated and and so so what they can do you know what, what's being done with you know testing out in new zealand like with you know blackrock and its climate partnership fund is they're tweaking how they're going to do it before they roll it out you know bigger and bigger countries where they'd get more flack if they made you know some pretty basic mistakes yeah. and so it's so it's it's also about massaging the message and then and tweaking tweaking and technology yeah tweaking the technology updates but also tweaking the um the relationships between you know the getting the brokerage getting the contracts done what works well you know b between different stakeholders mm -hmm. you know um and and you know like i you know for, i mean that gets to like the rand corporation you know with it developing you know during the cold war um you know that that delphi method you know and they've got that down to a fine art now you know of like how to how to um do consensus shaping meetings um you know with stakeholders when they've already got their objective and they just need to smooth out the process before they roll it out big on an economy you know or on a you know a whole country or an industry or whatever and th and that's going on all the time you know and so um yeah, yeah. people don't people don't realize the the extent at which um you know there's there's a whole swag of you know pr companies political strategy you know firms law firms accountancy firms um you know you know think tanks so before anything becomes the news and the news you know it, it's long been worked on and there's That's you know it's it's lit so in a country like this you know it's small enough there's you know two degrees of separation at the most you know i'm sure amongst um you know the listenership of you know reality check radio um they'll have people in their families or their friends who have been working on different parts of this yeah and yeah. what we need is you know people who are you know willing to um you know grow up here and you know get the documents put it on a thumb drive and whistleblow and and do so in a, in a way that you know with a cover letter that explains what the different documents mean and how it all goes together and what they've seen. We need people to be, you know, small ballsy. Um, yeah. Otherwise, we're going to lose this country. And 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 what's what's a value of you know people go oh but we're just a small country what can we do and what does it matter you know literally let me remind you we're being used as a test facility. Um, so 
you know, the, 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 what that tells you as well in the story is that we actually have, because we get used as an influence multiplier out to the world, mm-hmm. you know, um, all the time. Oh, New Zealand's gone that way and that's such a, you know, corruption-free country. You know, places literally riddled with snakes. Um, you know, we're not a snake-free country. I, and I so add a couple of things here. I am so used to seeing pre, uh, Transparency International ratings coming in frequently. And the other day I just looked up, so who's the country director of Transparency International? It's Anne Tolley. Now, ex-minister Anne Tolley, who was also a commissioner of Taronga, which has mm-hmm. not had local body elections now for, is it two terms? So there is no transparency there. Some of these things are absolutely galling to me. But I, yep. I, I want to go back to about a year ago, last year, and this is just uh, 15 months ago, May the 5th, 2022. You wrote an article, Steve, on your website, snoopman.net.nz, Spy My Media. You said Pfizer's top owners, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street are also top shareholders of the parent companies that own Analect. And Analect was hired by our government, New Zealand government, to spy on our social media. This is so insidious, isn't it? Incestuous, insidious, whatever term you use. It is, we just seem to be going back to the same places time and again. Yeah, yeah, it it, it runs deep. The um, the entwinedness of uh, that's a terrible entwinedness. The entangled, you know, the, the entangled um, nature of it all. Yeah, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. Um, you know, you know that they're literally a giant squid. Um, you know, or three <laughs> giant squids. Um, you know, yeah, and 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 you know the the top. They were the top three owners, you know, during the pandemic of um, became the top ultimate owners in a way of, um, you know, News Hub because uh, News Hub is owned by Discovery, which is owned by AT&T, you know, which is one of the big um, six media conglomerates in the States. You know, there's, there's six huge, um, you know, media media corporations that are a cartel, you know, that each 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 own a Hollywood studio and each own a um each own news outlets as well as all the entertainment and and all of that and so that's how that's how the population is um you know its consent is manufactured you know mm-hmm. there's a documentary called manufacturing consent that your listeners can watch made in 1992 still relevant you know literally shows how the empire manufactures the consent of the population through control of the media and um you know but basically because the media is so huge and and there's there's five filters five dominant filters on the news you know to do with the 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 size and ownership of a media corporation um it's it's advertising um the official sources so it's third filter sourcing um where you know your officials are presumed to be accurate <laughs> mm, mm, um, mm, mm. And then uh, the, the the fourth one is you know your your, your think tanks so you know your flak filter providing yep. flak, and and then your fifth filter you know which is a big one is is ideology, and you know so if you can get if you can get a population to b- believe buy in, into you know, it yeah then you know the climate cult or the corona cult or you know get it to believe in. Um, you know, communism, you know, is bad, you know, and I'm not saying it's great either, but, you know, this this is the Hegelian dialectic that I mentioned in the article is that mm. 
know, you literally create an ideology, you know, mm -hmm. communism, um, and and you get it, and you get whole populations to fight against capitalism. But you know, as I as I mentioned in the article, you know, it was Wall Street bankers and and you know, London interests and and um, you know, German war war Warburg, you know, banking family along with you know those governments that you know backed the um, Bolshevik revolution because they wanted to gain control of um, you know this Soviet you know create a Soviet Russia um, retarded so it was actually quite industrious you know doing quite nicely itself had a lot of free enterprise um, and 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 they 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 um, sabotaged its industrial development and then got in there. And um, you know, and build these huge, you know, industrial combines, you know, you Western Western companies. You're and just so, putting so, into words the same thing we keep saying: follow the money. You said right towards follow the, the money. Yeah. You you said uh, that Steve that people you know we keep thinking about Bill Gates and the others being really rich, but you're not really following the money. The BlackRock firm it also has a think tank and institute, BlackRock Investment Institute, in October. 29, as a part of the SWIFT Forum, which is the European Money and Finance Forum, they issued a policy paper. This was just three to four months before COVID hit, saying that dealing with the next downturn from unconventional, unconventional monetary policy to unprecedented policy coordination. And this was written by, amongst others, uh, Philip Heidelbrand, who has been the manager of uh, this institute, as well as an ex-Swiss banker, also the chairman of uh, the governor, the Swiss governor of the International Monetary Fund. All of these people knew this about four to five months ago, what is going to happen. And what we've seen in the last three years, as I, a layperson, see it, has been the biggest wealth transfer in history. All around me, where I look, and I live in the backwaters of rural Southland, there's hardship, there is misery, there is stress. There is family issues. There's, you know, literally the social fabric, the fabric is tearing apart. And meanwhile, they want us to go on a decarbonization journey. Well, up there, as I say, pardon the French. Yeah, yeah. These, um, I'll have to read that uh, paper. Mm -hmm. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, like I, I, I wrote a, I wrote a series called um, the Corona World Games. Corona World Games. Um, there's three parts. And um, in the in the first part, I, you know, I, I, you know, subtitle was you know the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You know, I could probably write in Larry Fink in there and have the seven <laughs> horsemen. Um, and you know, one of them was you know J.P. Morgan. You know, um, and you know, showing how on the eleventh anniversary, um, uh, you know, of Lehman Brothers collapse, which you know. JP Morgan orchestrated, they orchestrated the collapse of the um Bear Stearns as well. Um, the 11th anniversary of of the um Hank Pilson and and uh, Ben Bernanke going to Congress, you know, for the $700 billion bailout bill. That was Thursday, the 18th of September 2008. And on um September 18th, uh, 2019, so the 11th anniversary, um the New York Fed um, bailed out the, uh, the 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 repo market in mm -hmm. um, in New York, 
Now the repo market is is an, an interbank um, overnight lending market, market that yeah, helps market. helps keep um, big companies, you know, pay their payroll, pay their bills, you know, yeah. and yeah. suppliers and all of that. And and the um, JP Morgan. The point is, is JP Morgan and three other banks were behind um, a spike in the interest rate, you know, the lending rate for that market. Um, which went from two percent to ten percent, which is obviously huge, and um, and then then the Fed, the New York Fed, steps in to rescue that market. There it was a repeat of the playbook in two thousand and eight. You know, like that market went haywire the week that um, that you know Lehman Brothers collapsed and four hundred billion in funds you know exited that market. So wh- why I mention that is because this is how they do. Their resets. That was the real reset um, trigger mm-hmm. for the pandemic. They needed, um, you know, I say pandemic without rabbit ears. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not saying that people didn't die and get sick in that, but I'm I'm saying that there was a lot of engineering behind it. Um, so they needed that. Um, they needed a, a change in what had happened to undo. The clamps that have been put down on the financial system for ten years, and just you know have the Federal Reserve open the spigots for money creation, um, like on a scale we've never seen, and you know so you know literally the public debt in the United States went from you know that September 18, 2019, when when the New York Fed you know stepped in to rescue that repo market, um, public debt was twenty two trillion. And by the end of the pandemic, it was, you know, 30 trillion, you know, it increased 8 trillion in, in a matter of, you know, less than three years, right? Um, or, you know, by the end of 2022, roughly. So, you know, approximately three years. To give you an idea of how huge that is, when George Bush came in, you know, before, before you know, they went on the second Iraq war, you know, ventures, um, the U.S. public debt was 5 trillion. That's going all the way back to 1789 when the U.S. Congress was formed. So it took all those years for the U.S. debt to get to five trillion. Matter of three years during the pandemic, they increased the public debt by eight trillion. All of that federal credit creation went to the biggest companies, the biggest banks, the super rich get that uh, that cheap credit, you know, like of 0.1 of a percent. And and they buy up the fallen, which is what happened when you close an economy. You know, they buy up all the fallen businesses, you know, and and buy up the hard assets of you know railroads to a mine, or you know, buy up you know who knows the you know some precinct in Minneapolis that got set on fire. Um, the whole thing, you know. So, so you know, so so what I'm driving at is that anything. Um, that the you know the global elites are telling us to go along with do the opposite <laughs> go yes, go they- back to the drawing board you know get talking with your kids and go how do we how do we reinvent our lives so that our you know our communities are safe our households have resilience and um and our businesses can you know ride out the next um the next reset well Look, Steve, that's probably a great um, question to pose at the end of the interview. We've had an hour of your time. I've got a whole page. I've done more research on this column than I've probably done in the last five months. 
and I'm not even halfway through. Uh, I The last question I would like to ask, though, because I do want to take a bit of license here, Jasper, she's telling me to wind up, um, is why, why won't New Zealand politicians <laughs> of any ilk recognise what's going on right in front of us today? Why won't they make sure our competition rules are right? Uh, why won't they talk about sovereignty as being vital, individual sovereignty? Uh, there's a whole lot of whys. A third, third uh, point uh, is why do we hear about these non-profits that are so virtuous um, when, when clearly non-profit doesn't make sense? <laughs> so there's a whole lot of questions that I've got in my head, but I think we're going to have to wait for next time to have you um, back. And when we have you back, Steve, um, you've got a, a depth of knowledge that is got to be released to to people. And I think if we can have you back and on this forum and we have part two, um, we'd be honoured to have that, uh, that opportunity. So, um, yeah, like I said, we've had 60 minutes of your time and uh, we're very happy to have had that. Uh, all the best for your next works and your release of your podcasts in November. But in the interim, can I just thank you on behalf of Jasper Eden and I and our listeners for your candid discussion today. And we'll be back after the break. Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. 